morning, everybody. I'm all looking at my notes. Oh, it's my turn to talk. I hope you guys are having a great morning uh, today, um, enjoying some of the last few beautiful days until, you know, winter um, that I like talking about. Uh, things I do like talking about. Christmas. I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I don't know about you. I like the tree, even though it's pagan, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I like Christmas. Uh, I, I love the presents. I love the time with family. Um, I love remembering Christmases long ago. I, I've told you before, my parents were really good at making things like Christmas special in our home. I, 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 I love Easter as a time to celebrate. Uh, there's this spring coming forth and, and, the, and the warm air is coming and, and this reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Again, I love the time we spend with family. I, I, I love the, uh, the time we get to come together as a church and do special things like Good Friday services and to remember and, and to, to, to partake of the Lord's Supper together. I love Christmas. I love Easter. Again, my parents made those times pretty special for us growing up. The other thing that we do in, in our culture is we celebrate birthdays, right? And birthdays are a lot of fun. I, I was thinking about this today. Uh, when I was a young boy, we used to do cool things like go to the Rolladium for your birthday. You guys remember those? Really bad music, terrible food. You know, those places had to be filthy if you think about it. But that's, maybe we'll just leave that one alone for now. But the Rolladium, and then I remember this one, I think I was five years old, my parents splurged, they got me something really cool, in fact, I'm pretty sure I was five years old, at my birthday party, they bought me a record, and I'm, yeah, a record, by the way, if you don't know, a record's a, a circle thing, you can order them out of a newspaper, no, you know what, that'll take too long, this record, and on the record, it said, it's saying happy birthday directly to me, it was magic, remember those, anybody else ever get one of those that had your name in it, and the happy birthday records? You know, I remember those things, and they were special times in our lives. Uh, speaking of birthdays, by the way, I'm going to have to just pause from where I'm headed because I just heard this uh, uh, just this morning. Uh, May Bear, where's Dale at? Raise your hand, Dale. May Bear from Canada, uh, Dale's precious mom, is here celebrating with us today her 97th birthday. Is that incredible? God bless you, May. That's so awesome. The Canadian air must preserve you. Uh, that cold air. <laughs> you know, Christmas and Easter and birthday, they have these things in common. They're these milestones in our lives. But guys, here's where it gets a little bit serious. I'm afraid we tend to miss the point. I'm afraid we tend to miss the point about Christmas and what we're actually celebrating. That God seeing our desperate need because of our sin, sent his son, his perfect son, to come live in this world and dwell among us. All the while looking towards Easter, knowing that what it was going to take, knowing what was in store for him in order to redeem and to offer us salvation. I, I think we lose the seriousness of these seasons by sometimes the decorations and the meals and all those other things. It's okay to celebrate. In fact, we should celebrate these things because God has come to us and offered us salvation. Friends, that is worthy of our celebration and our praise. But let us not forget the seriousness of the matter. And even birthdays, you think about birthdays. 
What are we really celebrating? How awesome that our kids are? Heck no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we're, we're celebrating that God has given us a precious life to steward for his glory and his purposes. What if we started looking at these milestones and these, these opportunities to celebrate with the kind of the correct lens on? How would it change our celebrations? Speaking of celebrations, we're starting a new series today. We're going to be looking at Jesus and the Passover. Or I'm sorry, Jesus and the seven feasts of the Old Testament. These are milestones. These are celebrations that the children of Israel were told to observe and have for, for thousands of years at this point. But I'm afraid they too have missed the point on many of them. Missed the seriousness it's not just a time to come together and to celebrate and, and to have a party and then do enjoy life. God gave us these feasts so that we would remember some specific things that he has done and what he will do. So we're going to be looking over the next seven weeks at each one of these feasts. And we're going to see, we're going to give some of the historical context. I can only do a little bit of that in the 35 minutes that I'm provided. But we're going to give some of the historical context and we're going to talk about where is Jesus in these feasts? Because one of the beautiful things about them is how much they point to Christ. And when you see it all come together, it's just like, God had a plan for a long time. You know? God had a plan for a long time. And when it all comes together, the Old Testament and the New, there's just this beautiful cohesion, and it's like, aha! You know, maybe the first time you've ever, if you, if you have, read through the entire Old Testament or the entire Bible, if you haven't, I really recommend you do that, you start seeing how things fit together and have a lot of those aha moments, right? Today, hopefully, will be one of those as we're looking at one of the seven feasts. And today is going to be the, probably the most well-known of them, and that's the Passover feast. Uh, in order to get to that, we need to understand some historical uh, things and how the Passover began. So I'm going to be doing a little bit of teaching before I kind of transition to a little bit of preaching. And if you don't know the difference, you will before the day's over. All right? <laughs> Would you pray with me? And we're going to be, uh, by the way, Exodus 12, 1 through 13 is where we're going to start off with the text today. And you're going to need fast fingers or just go ahead and watch the screen because we've got a lot of text uh, for you this morning. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this day. God, I thank you specifically this morning for May Bear and this wonderful life that you have given her. We celebrate. We celebrate a, a life that has been well lived. And we, we celebrate the 97th birthday and, and, and the good health, and we pray for more good health for her. God, as we go to your word today, as we, as we look to unpack this Passover meal and to see you, Jesus, in it, may your spirit just speak in and through me and empower my words and that may your spirit speak in through the hearts of everybody here that we might be open to hear what it is you'd have us to hear today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus 12, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor, nearest neighbor, shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, 
a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it into two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt will I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. All right, so most of us are familiar with this story. Maybe some, uh, um, you know, maybe you conjure up some memories of a movie where you see Moses and all this stuff, Charlton Heston maybe. Um, but but we were, were most of us, even if you don't have a much of a church background, you're pretty familiar with this story. But I want to give us a little bit of the, the, the history. How did we get here? Well, about 400 years prior to this occurrence, uh, we have Joseph. Remember, Joseph is sold by his brothers uh, as a slave into the land of Egypt. Uh, after many years of trials and difficult times, uh, God elevates him. He gives him these dreams, right? And he, he interprets, he gives him the interpretation of these dreams and allows him to become the second in command of Egypt. You guys remember that story? Now they've been here for 400 years, and the Bible says uh, uh, that a new pharaoh has arose and has forgotten Joseph. So over these 400 years, uh, the children of Israel had, had been uh, multiplying, they had been fruitful, good things that God has been giving them favor, but somewhere along the line, they started to become a nuisance or seen as a nuisance to the Egyptians. So what happens? They are enslaved by the Egyptians. And now here, here enter uh, Moses and, and the whole, you know, let my people, set my people free part, right? And this, the Passover, we're looking at the tenth of ten plagues that God brought down on Egypt because Pharaoh's heart was hardened and wouldn't let the Israelites go into their promised lands. You guys all familiar with the story? Good. So here we have this story, this tenth uh, plague of, out of ten. And I want to look a little bit at the tenth plague and how it demonstrated God's justice and his holiness. If we're going to understand the Passover, we need to understand a little bit about this particular plague. So Exodus 11, 4 through 6, I'm probably not going to give you time to turn, although it's only one page, so you've already had time. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be. Before we even move on here, one of the things that the Passover remembers is one of the most traumatic events in human history. So as we think about the Passover, 
and think about this feast, we absolutely cannot separate it from the ugliness of death or the holiness and justice of God. We have to consider it under those, with that understanding. The first nine plagues were targeted really only to the Egyptians. This tenth plague, this tenth plague would have been anybody whose home wasn't covered by the blood of the Lamb. So even the Israelites, if they didn't follow the instructions that God had given them, their firstborn son, their firstborn of their cattle, all would have been slaughtered as well. Do you get that? They were not without uh, 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 the plague there. If they disobeyed God in that moment and didn't do as they were told, as Moses had instructed them, they too would have been uh, uh, caught up with this plague. Everyone in Egypt, including the Israelites. Now, why was God's chosen people also vulnerable to this plague? Because why wouldn't God just say, well, I'm going to let those people free. They can just go on their own after I set this plague. Why were they included? Why did they have to do something? Ezekiel 25 through 8 gives us a hint to this. And say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had uh, searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. This chosen people of God have fallen into the same kind of mistakes the Egyptians were uh, facing. Did my microphone just cut out for a second? Sometimes I don't have it pushed in far enough. Let's try that. They were guilty of some of the same things the children of Israel, or I'm sorry, the Egyptians were. The children of Israel needed protection from the tenth plague because of their own sins. They needed protection from the tenth plague because of their own sins. God spared the sons of Israel because of the substitutionary death of the Lamb, not because they were superior to the sons of Egypt. They all deserved punishment. You guys get that? This is an important piece as we're considering Passover. Every one of them deserved punishment. And God spared them because of the substitutionary death of the lamb in their home. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but maybe I do, but I won't because I'll get in trouble. I feel like our culture is far too removed from the reality of the grotesqueness of death. I feel like we just don't see it. We go to uh, Kroger and just walk into the meat aisle and it's all this pretty meat. Listen, it had fur not long ago. It was walking around. And, I, and again, I don't want to, if there's young people in here, you know, plug their ears. I, I don't want to labor on this too long or belabor this too long, but I think it's important because when we talk about this lamb, you know, these children of Israel, they had to bring in these, these lambs. And you know, when they did the sacrifice, they had to put their hand on the lamb. And you could feel the life leaving it. And it wasn't some just put down with some shot at a veterinary office. It was a grotesque way to die when their throat was slit. 
So when we talk about a sacrificial lamb, in our culture, we just think about the lamb alive and then the lamb dead, and we don't really understand the process of bridging the two things. Maybe you do. Maybe you're a hunter. Maybe, maybe you process your own meat, whatever the case may be. You know what I'm saying here. Death is ugly, and death is gross, and, and death is, is painful. And when we talk about the lamb's blood being substitutionary, for the children of Israel for the Passover, the children of Israel would have understood that very well. That's why in the Passover, one of the things that they were called to do to remember it was to sacrifice another lamb. Right? So every year when Passover come, they would have to get this lamb, this male lamb without blemish, this, this one of their best breeding stock lambs, put their hand on it and kill it and watch it die. There's a seriousness to this that I think we unfortunately miss in our culture, in our cultural context. The deacons won't allow me to demonstrate. <laughs> I didn't ask, but I'm pretty sure. No? Yeah. Rick wouldn't be happy either with the whole thing on the stage. We have to understand the 10th plague and how it demonstrates the holiness and judgment of God. The judgment of God, he wasn't going to let sin go on unchecked. Both the sin of the Egyptians for their worshiping of false idols and enslaving the chosen people of Israel, but also the sin of the Israelites for also worshiping the idols of the Egyptians. He, he couldn't allow sin to go unchecked. And we had to do this in order to, to execute his judgment on sin. Because he's a holy God and he doesn't look on sin. So we have this blood punishment, this blood sacrifice that happens in the Passover. Next thing is this, the Passover reminds us at least the following three things about God. At least the following three things. First of all is this, God is a just God and will bring judgment. Psalm 96.13 says this, Before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Let's go to the New Testament all the way to the end, Revelation 20, verses 11-15. through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to what they have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Our God does bring judgment. We like to talk about God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. But sometimes we forget the justice and the judgment of God. It is real. He is going to really exact judgment on this world. And when it talks about being judged by the things that we have done, to get our name written in that book of life is only coming through Jesus, the one who became Passover. It's only way. Just like the Israelites took that blood and they had this hyssop, this plant. They dipped it into the, the blood of the lamb and they painted it around their home, the front door. For us, for everybody else, 
It's through the blood of the Lamb of God that we might, our name might be written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. If it is not, judgment is going to come because God is just and He won't allow sins to go on unchecked forever because of His holiness. He is a perfect God as well. The second thing that Passover reminds us about God is this. God is the ultimate provider. God is the ultimate provider. God provided the children of Israel a way out of Egypt. That wasn't on their own volition. It wasn't their own idea. They didn't create their own escape plan. God provided. He provided a way to protect them from His wrath. The substitutionary death and the blood of the Lamb. Uh, you, you guys are probably familiar with the story of Abraham when he was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. Of course, he, he waits all these years to finally have this son that's going to be uh, the, the one who, whose blessing, uh, God, Abraham's blessing goes passes on to Isaac, and God has blessed him, is going to make a nation out of him. Waits all of these years, and then at some point in Isaac's life, uh, angel of the Lord's like, hey, go sacrifice Isaac. You know the story? And he, he, he packs some bags, and they get up, and they're ready they get ready to go uh, uh, sacrifice Isaac. Isaac says, hey, Dad, where are we going? Where's the, or no, he says, where, where is the sacrifice, Dad? And remember what Abraham said? He said, God will, prov- what, God will supply a lamb. Listen, to, as after this, this picks up Genesis 22 and 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is, this is in that context when God then provided that, that goat and in the, in the ram in the thicket for the sacrifice after he stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac. God is the provider. You get that? Third thing that it t- teaches us about God, at least, uh, God is a God of grace. He is indeed a God of grace. It was, out of God's gra- it was by God's grace that the Israelites were spared. He gave them a way out. He provided them the way out, but it was, it was because of His grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Guys, this all relates to the Passover. This Passover story illustrates in our lives our sin, our need for God, and His sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross. So that by the Lamb of God, by the blood of Christ, we can have salvation. And the Passover, is, it, it pictures this. It, it, it prophesies about this, if you will. The Passover is a picture of Christ becoming Passover. Not only does the Passover remind us of God's grace to the Israelites, it points us to the one who would become the Passover. And that's our third point today. Is Jesus didn't just fulfill Passover he became our Passover. Jesus became our Passover. The blood of the Lamb was a substitution for the Israelites. It was ineffective, though, in covering their sins. Hebrews 10.4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Something had to die, but it didn't take away the sins of the Israelites. Something more needed, uh, would be needed to take away sins. We find this in Romans 3, 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Jesus became our Passover. Jesus became our Passover as only his blood could take away sins. The Lamb's blood of the law couldn't take away sins. It didn't have the power to remove the penalty of the sins. It was a satisfactory sacrifice for the sins had already been committed. The blood of Christ, when it's been applied to your life, you are forgiven for all of your sins and they have been taken away as the penalty has been now taken away. Because the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, has already been made in Christ, the Lamb of God. Jesus meets, by the way, all the requirements of the Old Testament Passover, and He is the greater Passover. Old Testament lamb, it must be a male. Luke 3.23a, Jesus, when He began His ministry, was about 30 years of age, uh, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Male. The Old Testament lamb, no, broken bo- uh, no bones broken um, uh, according to the text. Uh, Exodus 12.46, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Jesus dies without a broken bone, remarkably. John 19.36, for these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Jesus became the greater Passover. The Old Testament lamb must be spotless. Jesus had no sin, 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The Old Testament uh, lamb was slain as a substitution. Jesus was slain for your and my sins. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the Scriptures. The Passover is a serious thing when we think about it. You know, I, I know if, if you travel to Israel during Passover, there's probably all kinds of things going on. But I wonder how many people are remembering the death, the gruesomeness of what had occurred, the seriousness of sin, the holiness of God, the justice of God, the provision of God. When we think about the Passover, we need to be thinking about those things because that's what it is there to remind us of. Get the seriousness of sin. And then as Christians, we recognize that Jesus became the greater Passover. Friends, the Egyptians had enslaved Israelites. Sin has enslaved our friends and family and neighbors and us too before we accepted Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. We too were enslaved to sin. And we were desperate. We were in desperate need. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have not been passed over. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord and and Savior, you are still in Egypt. You are still enslaved to sin. But here is the good news. It's not up to you to do something remarkable to be passed over. What you need to do is surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who came and died on a cross in a horrific, terrible, ugly way to satisfy the wrath of God because of your sin. And because of what God has done through His Son, Jesus, you may have life and have it abundantly. 
And when we think about the Passover, it's this reminder, Christian, that we were too enslaved in sin. And blood sacrifice, not just any blood, but the blood of the Lamb of God, was required to be an atonement for your sin. Let us not forget that when we hear the word Passover, to remember that once in our lives we too were passed over. We deserved the cross. We deserved the death. It should have been our blood that was spilled. But God provided the perfect Lamb, Jesus, to die on our behalf. That ought to make us excited, guys. But it's also very solemn. It is very solemn. I can't hardly believe it. I didn't preach last week and my time's already up. What the heck happened? Did you guys move that clock forward? I'm going to invite the band up as we close. But before I do, I have this question. Whether you're in this room or you're watching online, have you accepted the greater Passover lamb in your life? What a tragedy it would be for you to leave here today without being protected by the blood of the Lamb, without being saved because of Jesus, without surrendering your life and becoming and losing and, and gain, I'm sorry, and gaining your freedom from sin and its punishment that will come. What a tragedy it would be for you to miss that. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed for the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. John Calvin, John Calvin once noted that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race will remain useless and of no value for us. The Israelites had to put that blood of the Lamb on their doorpost. Friends, Jesus' death on the cross is only substitutionary if you surrender to him. Otherwise, you face the same punishment. Don't leave here today without making Jesus the Lord of your lives and surrendering to him. The original Passover, it wasn't enough for the lamb uh, was slaughtered if it wasn't applied to the doorpost. Jesus' blood must be applied to your life. I'm going to pray and I'm going I'm to challenge you before we have one more song this morning. But would you bow your head and close your eyes? If today you're, you're sitting here and you're, and you're beginning to recognize the seriousness of your sin and the need of a Savior and you'd like Jesus to be the Lord of your life, would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to say your name or have you come forward. I'm just going to pray for you where you're at. Maybe you're in this room right now. You can put your hands down. Hands down. Maybe you're in this room right now and you are a follower of Jesus. But you must admit that for too long you just kind of gloss over the seriousness of our sin and the goodness of God for what he has provided. And you just want to mark this memory today just by raising your hand so I can pray for you too that you might remember. You can put your hands down. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. The hands of those who want to accept you as their Lord and Savior, God, give them the confidence and courage to talk to somebody here, whether it's me, Pastor Phil, Pastor Isaiah, or maybe somebody who may have brought them with them today. God, for those of us who just needed this reminder that just needed this reminder of the seriousness of sin 
your provision, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. God, we thank you for that reminder. But mark that in our hearts that when we hear the words Passover, when we hear the word Easter, we don't just think about a a Sunday meal in our home with all of our family and friends, but we think about the ugliness of death that Jesus took on our behalf, that we would remember that it was our death that, that he died on our behalf, that the, it was our blood that, was, uh, that we should have been spilled, but instead it was his on our behalf. God, help us to remember when we hear Passover, when we hear Easter, help us to remember that death and sin is serious and you are good. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.